Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The U.S. Market Update with Money FM 89.3. All right, good morning, folks. Here's your look at how markets are shaping up. And we saw U.S. stocks selling off overnight. Continuing the sluggish start to September, as we see concerns mount that the Federal Reserve may not be done hiking interest rates. The Dow Jones Industrial Average sank nearly 200 points or 0.6%, closing at around 34,443. The S&P 500 lost 0.7% to finish at 4,465. And the biggest loser was the Nasdaq Composite, shedding 1.1%. To close at 13,872, that is its worst daily performance in two weeks and is now on a three-day losing streak. Apple among the losers there and the big tech names. And to get more insights, we're joined by Will McDonough. He is the founder and CEO at EMG Advisors. Will, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me again. All right, let's unpack the latest action. And it does look like history repeating itself. September off to a bit of a sluggish start. And typically, this is a month that we don't see a lot of fireworks for stocks. Yeah, you know, I I always view September as the first month of the year. You know, traditionally, internationally, the summer months are the months where people are on vacation. People are taking a little bit of a break, way more so than they do around Christmas and New Year holidays which are traditionally, you know, a week long of a break. And so September is always a month where people come back from having been probably a little bit less volume in the markets. And they look around and they say, what's going on in the global market? What's going on with all of the, you know, key performance metrics? And I think what you're finding here is, is people don't like what they're seeing. People haven't seen that the Fed activity has flown through and, and uh, impacted uh, inflation as quickly as they would have hoped. And so people are starting to get nervous that the Fed's going to have to raise again before year end and what type of signal that's going to send to the equity markets. Yeah, we were talking about signals. It does look like a, I guess, backdrop where good news is bad news and bad news for the economy is good news for markets. If you look at the ISM US Services Index, that rose to the six-month high in August, hitting 54.5. So in line with that you've been outlining, people have been struggling to read the signals. Yeah, the signals are definitely confusing, and they're confusing internationally. You know, the numbers that are coming out of Europe are being, uh, you know, tracked. The regulatory action from the EU Commission against global tech giants today dented our, our IT stocks. You know, people are really having to look at other continents as opposed to their own mm. as our world becomes more and more global. Okay, let's take a look at what the expectations are right now, based on those signals at least, what the Fed is going to be doing in this next FOMC meeting. Of course, the last time you saw them hiking, are we in for a higher chance right now based on some of these better than expected readings? I think we are, and I think that it might not be in the September meeting, but the chances of a rate hike by the November meeting is up over 50%. And so I think, you know, to the same comment, uh, the Fed's going to be back. They're going to have new data. They're not going to love the August and July figures, Mm. but they're going to take it with a grain of salt because it was the summer months, and they probably don't do anything here in September, but the odds of them having to do one more thing before November and push in a little bit more pain before the holiday season is above half, which is, uh, you know, concerning, no doubt. Yeah, well, let's talk about how that's being reflected in the rates for bonds. If you look at the 10-year notes, overnight it's up around 3 basis points to 4.27%. Just two weeks ago, it hit a 16-year high above 4.3%, and it does look like we might be back there again soon. 
where are rates going from here? Well, I think people, the capital markets are, are more and more tight. And so therefore, rates are going to have to be higher to incentivize people to take risk. If I can buy U.S. Treasuries and get 5% return with very, very low risk, if, if any, um, why would I buy a bond that's mm. only paying me 6%? And so the markets are going to have to incentivize money and the flow of capital into higher risk assets. And the only way to do that is by continuing to raise rates of those assets. And uh, that becomes very expensive for businesses that you know are in need of capital. So with higher rates, Will, can we expect a bit of pressure on stocks, for example? And where does this leave the U.S. dollar? Well, I think you know the U.S. dollar, uh, it's all relative, right? So if I was looking at the U.S. dollar in relation to the U.S. dollar, I would be nervous. I'm, I'm not happy about the strength of the dollar. Uh, I'm not happy about the fact that 80% of total dollars in circulation have been printed in the last handful of years. Um, so that's really you know, troubling signals. But if you zoom out and look at the strength of the U.S. dollar versus emerging markets that are struggling more so than the U.S. Mm-hmm. economy, well, then it looks strong. And then you're going to feel good about the U.S. dollar. I still believe that the U.S. dollar will be the reserve currency of the world. Um, and so, therefore, it will maintain its strength. But strength relative to what? Okay, strength relative to what? Of course, um, in the past week, you've been seeing some volatility in the um, currencies, particularly in Japanese yen and the Chinese yuan. So we'll see how that will play out. And also something that's been moving has been oil prices. And this off the back of OPEC Plus saying they are going to cut supply. So what is going to drive prices down the road? Is this going to be a supply situation or is demand going to come in and also shape the dynamics here? Well, the dynamics are fascinating, right? You mentioned at the top of the hour uh, the the rice prices and that governments are having to get involved and stimulate and assure, you know, floors of rice. Mm. When you look at oil, oil has a similar situation with concentrated supply. Do you think this world ever would have predicted that Saudi Arabia and Russia can privately meet and set global policy for supplies of oil. And that one gesture by two very unfriendly nations dictates the price of the, that the globe has to pay for a barrel of oil. So yes, that's concerning that they can manipulate that in that way. You know, we similarly cover with our New York Stock Exchange ETF charge, CHRG, lithium, nickel, copper, cobalt, and it's becoming the same thing, you know. China is controlling the processing capacity of over a majority of those metals. And so you have Russia and Saudi controlling the, the global price of oil. You have China controlling the global price of all green energy metals. You have India controlling the global price of rice. These are complicated situations uh, that aren't really allowing for free price uh, discovery. Mm. All right, Will. So let's take a step back. Um, off the back of what we've all been watching Energy does look like a compelling place. So what is the allocation right now that you are pushing for when it comes to investing in the markets right now? Well, first and foremost, I don't think people are allocated to energy if they're allocated to only oil and gas. A traditional investment portfolio has an energy allocation to natural gas and to oil and does not have an allocation to lithium, nickel, copper, cobalt, and all of the commodities that are core to a future uh, green energy future. And so our current portfolio is overweight copper. We have about 70% of the portfolio long copper. You know, that every electric vehicle requires one mile of copper wire per car Mm. in the car. And that doesn't even account for connectivity to the house, 
to the grid, connectivity with solar panels to the grid, connectivity with wind turbines to the grid. The demand for copper in the green energy uh, future is massive and way underappreciated, as is lithium. You know, if you found lithium in your studio today, it would be 8 to 12 years before that was manufactured and processed into a battery. It's a very long cycle. And so even though you're seeing a lot of stimulation of new lithium uh, extraction and, and mines, the reality of it is there's going to be a dearth of lithium for the demand driven by green energy in the next decade. And we predict prices, especially in lithium and copper, are going to increase significantly, which is why that makes up almost 90% of our portfolio. Well, that's a very good point. Energy, if you're invested in it, remember to diversify into, well, what is going to play out for the future landscape, including copper, lithium, and the green transition. We've been chairing Will McDonough. He is the founder and CEO at EMG Advisors. Will, it's been great having you on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. All right. Thanks for your time and keep it here on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play. 